Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the IFLR Closing Conditions Podcast. I'm John Crapp, Managing Editor of International Financial Law Review and Practice Insight. My guest today is an inspiring lawyer who's worked around the world in an undeniably impressive career. Frederick Gillane is currently Head of Legal at the hedge fund BFAM Partners in Hong Kong, but has previously worked at Goldman Sachs, Nomura, Society General, and notably was at Lehman Brothers during the financial crisis in 2008. This year, Frederick was awarded the in-house contribution award to IFLR's Asia-Pacific Awards, which recognized a contribution across four decades. Hi, Frederic. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hi, John. Thank you very much for having me. So to kick things off, why don't you introduce yourself and talk about your career path so far? Sure. I'm a French lawyer, as my accent will probably have given me away already. Uh, I started my career in the early 90s in Paris when... Uh, French banks were pioneer in the field of derivatives and structured products. And I was uh, very lucky to be part of this uh, development and covered a wide range of products and businesses across all markets from the Americas to Asia, including Europe, of course. Over the years, market shares and platforms in Asia grew significantly and I got the opportunity to move to Tokyo to set up the bank's legal department. It was a senior role and the chance to internationalize my, my career. Uh, I can tell you that uh, I, I didn't hesitate much. It was a steep learning curve, as you, you can imagine, but uh, I really never regretted that choice. I believe it was a game changer and shaped my career to, to this day. Um, after a few years, I decided to make a move. And while still in Tokyo, I took a newly created uh, regional role at Lehman Brothers, covering mainly equities and derivatives. And after a few years, I moved on to do the same thing in Europe. I then did a few different roles at Lehman in Europe and in legal, as well as on the, the business side. And when it collapsed, I decided to stay and work for the administration for a couple of years with the intention to move back to Asia for the right role and when the time would be would be right. I activated my network and it took me to Hong Kong 11 years ago now, where I joined Goldman as head of equities legal for Asia Pacific. And then I moved to the buy side after more than 25 years on the sell side to join BFAM Partners as chief legal officer three years ago, where I'm still, you know, learning a lot of things and uh, enjoying my role. So given that you've worked all across the world in, in Paris, in London, Tokyo, Hong Kong, what, what's it been like working in such many multiple jurisdictions without perhaps having the relevant qualifications that you need for each specific country? And how are you able to adapt to those situations? That, that's a good question. And to be honest, when the discussion started about a role for me in, in Asia, I didn't really think that uh, I was an exportable commodity. Um, this said, as I mentioned before, at the time I had a very broad geographical coverage and I was already working across multiple jurisdictions without the relevant qualification for each specific country. Actually, uh, any lawyer, wherever, wherever they did qualify, who has a regional role in Asia, for example, is in the exact same situation. You may be dealing with Vietnamese legal issues in the morning and have a meeting on a new initiative in Korea in, in the afternoon. I don't know a single lawyer in Asia who has the relevant qualifications for each of the jurisdictions they, they cover. 
um, what, what I'm saying is that, you know, if you are an expert in your field, if you understand what the business is trying to achieve, if you have an idea of the outcome that you are looking for and the potential risks and obstacles, then you will know the question to ask. If you are analytical and have an inquisitive mind, then you will know when to challenge the answers you are getting and you will be able to do your job and add value to the process as an in-house lawyer and risk manager at the same time. Of course, you need a strong skill set and a solid platform of trusted advisor and team members. I think at the end of the day, you know, it's a collaborative process. It has to be. I mean, there is no way I could have contributed to the business I have covered over the years if I had been working uh, in uh, in isolation. Um, this, this, I mean, it's true that it has not always been a walk in the park. And I can tell you that uh, when I took the job in Tokyo, it raised quite a few eyebrows and uh, some people were pretty skeptical about the fact that a French lady lawyer, as I was called, was the right casting for, for, the, for the job. And I won't blame them for thinking that. I just had to prove that, you know, I could be a useful contributor to the business and we, ha we were getting better outcomes where, when legal was involved. You mentioned earlier that you one of your roles was at Lehman Brothers. Um, obviously, you were there in 2008 during the financial crisis, which must have been fascinating to witness firsthand. So what was that experience like and what lessons do you think can be learned from that? It was indeed fascinating. Uh, for, first, I want to say that, um, you know, in my, in my view, Lehman, uh, the Lehman I have known was a great place to work. Uh, it was innovative. It had high standard of regulatory compliance, and I want to insist on that point. Um, they had strong internal processes and uh, very, very talented, uh, very, very talented people. I actually participated uh, in some of the discussion that took place during the weekend preceding the, the bankruptcy filing on the 15th of September 2008. And as much as we all knew that, you know, in the midst of the U.S. subprime mortgage crisis and near implosion of other major banks, Lehman would be a different animal after that weekend. I don't think any of us had imagined what was actually going to happen and that the fact that it could have it happen, um, it, it was indeed a massive shock to us and totally unthinkable. Uh, but it, it is what it is. And uh, yeah, as I said, I um, I stayed and worked for the administration and I learned a lot during the two years when I did that. And this experience has been invaluable to the way I actually have done my job after that. And not only in the credit or distress space, just generally speaking, um, a few a few things I can mention in terms of um, lessons learned, if we want to call it that way. Um, investment banks leave as groups, but uh, when the music stops, there is no more group. And the workout is going to take place at each entity level. Clearly, clearly, the impact of Lehman's bankruptcy was intensified by, because of the entity globalized legal structure. 
I mean, many clients and counterparties found themselves exposed to multiple Lehman entities in various jurisdictions with different bankruptcy and insolvency laws and to different administrators as well. Um, some boilerplate clauses in agreements ended up having tolling impact on creditor. For example, uh, in relation to collateral, there would generally be a clause in the agreement creating an intercompany lien or security, meaning that an administrator could decide to withhold the return of assets to a creditor until after it had confirmed that this creditor did not have any outstanding liability to other Lehman entities, which, as you can imagine, was extremely complicated in the in the circumstances. Mm-hmm. One of the other lessons I learned, which is quite depressing for, for a lawyer, is that the best drafted contract is worth nothing if your systems and your books do not accurately reflect the contractual terms. Uh, I am referring in particular to prime brokerage agreements and the sensitive question of uh, client uh, asset or client money protection in, in Europe, i.e. if the assets or the monies are not properly segregated, then you will not be afforded the client asset protection, even though you are contractually eligible to it. Post Lehman, all banks had to review their prime brokerage platforms and clients have placed increased scrutiny on contractual agreements and the legal rights and remedies in the event of a contractual default afforded by such arrangements. They have also thought added assurance that the assets and trade obligations are adequately safeguarded and or segregated when necessary. Finally, working in the Lehman's administration gave me an insight into working with litigators and the added value even outside of any litigious situations. After that, I very often work closely with litigators before uh, finalizing a a new transaction or highly strict deal uh, to better understand the potential remedies and outcomes should things turn sour and we were to to end up in courts. So working in Hong Kong, you must of course do a lot of work with mainland China. What are the main challenges and opportunities you're looking at when it comes to China and doing cross-border business there? Ah, China. (laughs) There are indeed a lot of uh, headlines about China at the moment, especially as Beijing has been uh, intensifying its reform effort targeted at private business to the point that uh, some market players have qualified of being uh, uninvestable. I mean, China is a 1.5 billion people market with uh, a projected uh, GDP growth of uh, 8.5% for 2021, and in my view, it remains an attractive opportunity, provided that you know how to look at it and position yourself to capture the, disrupt- the disruption that uh, those uh, headlines may be, may be causing. The market has certainly been caught off guard by recent regulatory developments, as well as by certain events in the capital market space, which might have led investors to reconsider their appetite for investing in China. Um, For example, the N Group, uh, a China fintech, which is a spin-off from Alibaba and uh, is in the mobile payment and consumer credit business, 
was due to launch a 37 billion IPO back in November last year, which would have been the world's largest IPO. But it was abruptly halted two days only before trading was due to start. And that was even after allocation on the basis that the Chinese authorities were due to adopt new fintech regulations, which might cause you know, the company to fail to meet its listing obligations. Another example relates to DD Global Inc, often referred to as the Uber, Uber of China that uh, IPO'd on the New York Stock Exchange last month and became subject to a cybersecurity review by the China Cybersecurity Authority on the day immediately following the first day of trading of the IPO shares for non-compliance with certain technology-related laws and regulation that led to the app being taken down from the app stores in China. Obviously, those actions had a pretty adverse impact on market price and of the DD newly issued listed shares. And this, this matter is still still ongoing. My point here is not to discuss, you know, whether in each of these cases the companies could or should have acted differently in relation to the IPOs, be it in terms of the timing or in terms of the uh, market disclosure, but simply to highlight the impact on the international capital market that resulted from these situations, among, among others, and the market reaction to, to them. This being said, not everything is unknown or unknowable if you can decipher the signals. And in fact, the Chinese Communist Party is very clear about its policy, which includes social stability, and when the Chinese government decides to address a particular sector, they have generally given signals in, in advance. And we've seen that uh, in respect of uh, fintechs, cybersecurity, gaming, to name uh, a, few, a few examples. Investing in China uh, requires a very strong understanding of what the party line is and, and, what, the and what the drivers are for, for example, um, is foreign investment the problem or is it the control by foreign investors? It also requires to remain alert to the signals and input this information in your decision making process in order to maintain a competitive advantage. As we all know, nothing is, uh, is static and we always have to reframe the perspective to remain competitive. This is true at all, all levels, and um, expertise and agility are particularly key here. Now, moving quickly to the subject of Hong Kong, we are seeing promising developments as uh, China and Hong Kong continue to work closer together. Hong Kong remains an attractive place to be, to do business. Shenzhen, the border town between Hong Kong and the mainland, is an attractive neighbor with Greater Bay initiatives bringing new opportunities, especially in the innovation and the tech industry. In the legal space as well, Hong Kong and the mainland have agreed in May this year a new cooperation mechanism for cross-border insolvency with mutual recognition of bankruptcy proceedings between their respective courts. This could be significant for insolvency practitioners 
but, and also for the credit and distress business, given uh, the corporate structure of Chinese companies. The first case was filed uh, late last month, so we need to wait and see how this agreement will be used and implemented in, in the future. So moving on to a kind of more recent role, and obviously the pandemic has impacted your, your time in your current role. How do you expect the, the fund management sector to emerge from the pandemic and how badly has it actually even been affected? Actually, I can't talk for the all of the asset management business, but as far as hedge funds are concerned, and to the best of my knowledge, although 2020 might have been a bit of a rough year and a roller coaster, uh, hedge funds generally had a great year last year. And um, there is... Um, there is a name AMA study, which is uh, which is public, I think, uh, that was conducted earlier this year and concluded that um, the hedge fund industry was relatively untouched by the pandemic, with a few hedge funds reporting performance above or within their target level of returns and strong levels of confidence in the future for for of the industry. Markets are resilient and uh, hedge funds are adaptable. I think they might have uh, been able to adjust their operation quickly and perhaps faster than other institutions in the in the industry. So, so what was it like when you made that switch from the sell side to the buy side? Or what the difference has been with working on both sides? As you can imagine, it was not a decision that uh, I made lightly. But um, after almost eight years with Goldman in the same role, I was looking for a new challenge and felt that uh, the timing was right. I, I went to work with people I knew and I had worked with before, so it was not a jump, in, a jump in the complete unknown. And I guess I was pretty realistic about the move, the role and the changes from what I had known so far, i.e. large sell-side corporate organizations. It's indeed a different way of working. Uh, we are a very lean organization. Most of the time, uh, people's skill sets are complementary. They don't really overlap. We are very much in the action. Our decision-making process can be very fast, although remaining high quality. Um, in, my, in my former role, I was leading a team of lawyers across the Asia-Pacific region, and this would involve quite a bit of people management and development. Now, I don't do that anymore. I am back at doing deals, which I enjoy very much. Um, it is a very hands-on role that uh, requires to think uh, creatively and in an agile way. Uh, I also like that uh, I can see my impact when I do things or the lack thereof if I, if I don't do something, as well as uh, my, my contribution to, to the bottom line. Forgive me for asking a question you've probably been asked many times, but given that you're such a high-profile woman in the financial industry, what has your experience been like getting to where you are and how does it compare between Asia and Europe and the US? Yeah, it's a, it's a question that uh, I get a lot and I'm not always sure how to, to respond to it. Uh, to be honest, I don't think many men get asked about their experience as a high-profile man in, in finance. Um, I always say that uh, when it comes to the, to the workplace, 
I did not notice I was a woman until I moved to a U.S. firm and people were incredibly excited to have a senior woman jo joining the firm. Uh, personally, I had always thought that I was a professional and expert in my field, perhaps, and being a woman was never part of the equation. Um, more, more seriously, I think, you know, a lot has been done on the on the gender front since I started in this industry. Surely women continue to lag behind men in leadership roles, but things have improved a lot. And uh, I don't think my experience as a senior woman in this industry was very different in Asia or in Europe. Um, although I, I, I probably have to caveat this by saying that uh, I've always worked with uh, four international firms, so I might not have faced certain cultural challenges that uh, women may, may be facing in more, more local businesses. Um, I'm very committed to enhance retention and promotion of women at or around those particular moments in their career when they feel or are made to, be, to feel that uh, they might have to slow down or take a step back or even jump from the train. Uh, some women will want to leave in our industry and, and that's totally fine, but others want to stay but are not necessarily supported or assumptions are made in their respect without them being, uh, being consulted at all. And it actually, it actually happened to me after my, my second child was born. Um, after a while, I realized that uh, my boss, who for sure meant well, uh, had told the business that I would not travel anymore without me being aware of it. I was not aware of this, uh, this conversation. I had never discussed it with him before. I, I have been active over the years in mentoring women in this situation, as well as educating men on this topic. Uh, for me, on, on the gender di diversity front, my angle has always been to include men in the discussions, to have an open dialogue about the issues, whether they are actual issues or perceived issues, because this is the only way that uh, we'll be able to, to move the needle. Thank you so much for your time today, Frederic. It's been excellent to listen to, and I'm sure that listeners will enjoy it as much as I have recording it. Thank you. You're very welcome, John. And I really appreciate the opportunity to be given a voice. And uh, I also want to thank the International Financial Review for recognizing my, my contribution to the market. Of course. You are worthy winner. Thank you so much. Thank you.